Now repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless my heart. Amen. Uh, hey, just I want to recognize real quick, Mark and Jordan Sprinkle, our general contractors, are here. You guys stand up. Let's give them a big hand. They have uh, poured their lives into this place, and we are so thankful for all the hard work they've done. We're glad you guys are here. All right, we are in week two. Yes, sir. Huh? <laughs> I guess so. How about that? Yeah. And I didn't know the interpretation, so I'm not sure how that went, right? We're going to be talking about lessons from the garden, and we're in week two. So if you've got your notes up on the screen, now listen, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to get as far as I can. We're not going to get in a hurry. This series is going to go as long as it goes. I'll cover as many points. So if you are one of my note takers, who are my note takers? Don't freak out if I don't get all the points, okay? We'll catch up next week. So let's just, let's just go with what God's doing here. So we're talking about lessons from the garden. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 says this, Let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here's the deal. God is actually telling us at the beginning of Genesis our job description. He's telling us what you and I were created to do. And here's what that is. We were not designed just to live in communion with God. God didn't spin the world and just take a vacation and leave it to us, God created us for a specific purpose. We are created to govern the earth with all living things, and to that specific end, we were made in God's divine likeness. And I'm going to show you here in a few few minutes what that looks like. So what does it mean? We talked about this last week. What does it mean to be created in God's image or likeness? And I used a mirror last week. And what, what this really means, the best translation or illustration I can think of, is God has created you and I to be mirrors. And as a mirror, we reflect the image of God to the world, okay? And we talked about that, this last week. So God's image is created in you and I, and then we are reflecting that to the, to the world. Now, the problem that we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about more this week, is what happened in the garden is that instead of reflecting God's image or God's likeness to the world, we flipped the mirror around, and it became about us. We, in other words, took the first selfie in Eden And it's been a selfie pretty much ever since then, is that shadow of who God is, but people don't really know who he is. They just see an image of who he is because his light is shining on the back of a mirror, and it's not reflecting him. And so the reason people have a bad image of God most of the time is because they don't have a good image of God in us. Because here's the truth, gang. Here's the truth. Most people that you're going to come across in the world, they may never open a Bible. They may never even go to church. 
They may never, and even if they go to church, are they going to go to a church where they hear the truth? I like to think you guys are hearing the truth. But here's the thing. If that, if that is a reality, if most people are never going to come into a, an opportunity where they get a, an opportunity to encounter God in a service or something like that, then the only way they're ever going to see Jesus is how? Through us. And he literally created you and I to be images of who he is. And so the big question last week, and it's really the big question this week too, if you're the only Bible anybody ever reads or you're the only representative of Christ anybody sees, are they going to get a good picture of who he is? Now think about that. That's a big question, isn't it? Are you reflecting Jesus to the world? What do they See, Jesus talked about this. He said, shine like stars in the sky. He said, let your good deeds be done before all the people around us so that they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about him and about his goodness and his grace and who he's created us to be. So the question is, what am I reflecting? Now, we talked about last week, the good news is Jesus has come, and here's literally what Jesus did, guys. On the cross, Jesus allowed us to stop this and turn this around again. He allowed broken people to be restored back to what God had created us for in the garden in the first place. Jesus is called the second Adam. And where the first Adam sinned and fell, the second Adam restored us in a relationship with God. Now, this is deep theology, but I'm being completely accurate here. God sent Jesus to take our sin and restore us to himself. That's literally what happened. So, so here's the question that, you know, now that we've established that, we need to talk about what happened in the garden. Because here's the thing. The sin and the challenges that Adam and Eve had and what happened in their life, you and I encounter the same kind of stuff. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, and that really is the truth. And the same devil that tempted Adam and Eve is the same one at work in the world today that's messing with you and I. And, and here's the deal. I'm, we're going to talk a little bit today about who Satan is because you need to understand that there actually is an enemy. We've got a video that's just going to briefly show you some things, and then I'm going to follow up, and we'll jump into the rest of the message. So let's watch this real quick. How, why, and when did Satan fall from heaven? Satan's fall from heaven is symbolically described in Isaiah 14, 12-14, and Ezekiel 28, 12-18. While these two passages are referring specifically to the kings of Babylon and Tyre, they also reference the spiritual power behind those kings, namely Satan. These passages describe why Satan fell, but they do not specifically say when the fall occurred. What we do know is this, the angels were created before the earth. Satan fell before he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan's fall, therefore, must have occurred somewhere after the time the angels were created and before he tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Whether Satan's fall occurred hours, days, or years before he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, Scripture does not specifically say. The book of Job tells us, at least at that time, Satan still had access to heaven and to the throne of God. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Apparently, at that time, Satan was still moving freely between heaven and earth, speaking to God directly and answering for his activities. 
Whether God has discontinued this access is a matter of debate. Some say Satan's access to heaven was ended at the death of Christ. Others believe Satan's access to heaven will be ended at the end times war in heaven. Why did Satan fall from heaven? Satan fell because of pride. He desired to be God, not the servant of God. Notice the many I will statements in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 15 describes Satan as an exceedingly beautiful angel. Satan was likely the highest of all angels, the anointed cherub, the most beautiful of all of God's creation. But he was not content in his position. Instead, Satan desired to be God, to essentially kick God off his throne and take over the rule of the universe. Satan wanted to be God, and interestingly enough, that is essentially what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with in the Garden of Eden. How did Satan fall from heaven? Actually, a fall is not an accurate description. It would be far more accurate to say God cast Satan out of heaven. Satan did not fall from heaven. Rather, Satan was pushed. So, and you guys can study more from that. And obviously, I'm going to be really brief in talking about who he is. But understand this. Satan was an angel. He's a created being. But the scripture tells us he was the most beautiful of all angels. He also led worship in heaven, the, t- the, the word talks about. And so, Satan was a big deal. But here's the thing. Satan decided that he didn't want to serve God anymore, but he wanted to be served. And so something changed in his heart. He decided, the scripture tells us that he said, let us ascend to the throne of God. I want to kick God out of his situation. But think about this. Satan was so convincing, the Bible tells us that he was able to convince a third of the angels, which are now demons, to rebel against God. And then the scripture tells us that there was a war in heaven, but Satan was kicked out. Now, let me clear up a couple of things theologically for you. Okay, guys? There is not a tug of war between God and Satan. God created Satan. He is a a created being. You see how Jesus would deal with Satan? I mean, God is all-powerful, guys. So it's not like, oh, I wonder who's going to win. Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be Satan? And I've seen... Goofy things where there's Jesus arm wrestling Satan, that's just silly. That's not the way that works, okay? Satan is a created being, and he is still, uh, he's still a pawn in everything that else go, that goes on in the world. But he, and I want you to understand this clearly, he hates you, and he hates me. And I'm going to explain why in a minute, why that's happened. But here's the deal. Satan fell. And so then we have Adam and Eve in the garden, and we're going to talk about what God's commanded them to do, but then we're going to show when he enters the scene, because here's the thing, what happened? I mean, what happened? How did this go on? Genesis 2, verses 15 through 25, let's read that. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, okay? And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Now, now why is it important? Think about this. We talked about why did God create us? To be images of him and to do what else? To rule and reign. So God 
puts Adam in the garden and says, Adam, your job is to be a steward of this place, and you're going to rule over this garden. And then, can you imagine when he sent him up and God, I can imagine the spirit of God standing behind Adam and all these animals start coming up. What are you going to call it, Adam? I think I'll call it a lion. And so there it is. It's called a lion. But think about this. Literally, that's what happened. God allowed Adam to reign. He allowed Adam to rule. Why? Because we are created in God's image. If you go out today and you see somebody riding a horse, who's in charge? Hopefully. The ho- not the horse. <laughs> Hopefully, the person riding the horse, that horse is subservient, to, right? Animals, all these different. We still, that image of God is still in us, what? To rule and to reign. But we are called to be stewards. And I don't want to get into eco-friendly stuff too much, but the reality is we've messed up a lot of what God's given us. We have. And I don't know about global warming. I haven't studied all that stuff. But here's the deal. The reality is we haven't taken care of this planet as well as we should have. Right? I mean, we can all agree on that. But here's the thing. We were created to rule. And so then God says, look, it's not good for man to be alone. Look at down here at... Uh, Verse 20, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, and you've heard this probably at a wedding at some point. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. But notice this next verse is very important. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, the reason that's important is because that gives you and I an image of what was going on in the garden from a security standpoint, from a safety standpoint. They were both naked. They were walking around with wild animals, and there was no fear at all. There was no fear. There was no shame at all. And I want to tell you, I've got on your notes here, and i just cover this real quickly. Here's the, some of the reasons why they felt the way they did. They were safe. I want you to think about that, how important that is. Right now, just take a second, and I want you to think about a place a geographic place where you feel safe and at peace. Where is that? Somebody said in here, that's awesome. But think about that. Where do you feel safe? Now think about why you don't feel safe a lot of the times. Fear. The things that have happened to us in the world, how other people view us and treat us. And and Adam and Eve lived in a situation where there was no sin, So they were completely safe. Second thing I want you to see, what I just said, there was no sin. And here's the deal about sin, and it's your third blank there. Sin separates us from God. Sin, as a definition, means missing the mark, okay? And so when we sin, we go against the law of God. And what happens when you and I sin, and it still happens today, there's separation between us and God. And we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. But when Jesus hung on the cross, there was a moment on the cross where 
Jesus cried out to his father and he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And it was in that moment when Jesus took the sin of the world, and let me put it in a way, maybe it's better for you, where he took your sin on himself and for the first time ever, Jesus was separated from his father because sin separates. Sin brings shame. If I were to ask you right now about some of the things that have happened in your life in areas that were sin, one of the words you would probably use about it is that you're ashamed. I'm ashamed of what I did. And Adam and Eve lived in a situation before the fall where there was no shame because there was no sin. And and folks, I want you to hear this. This is so important. That's how God created us to be. He created us to be in his image, to rule and reign like him. But when Adam and Eve, our forebears, that we give a lot of flack to, but the truth is if it was me and you, we would have done the exact same thing, that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they separated themselves from God, and we have been separated ever since. But here's the deal. Because God loved you and I so much, he sent Jesus to the cross to take our sin upon himself as the second Adam. And here's what Jesus was doing. He was doing that and taking our sin upon himself to take us back to the same relationship we had in the garden to rule and reign with God. That was the purpose. That's why Genesis is so important. That's why one of the things that interests me, and I want you to try to grasp this concept, is that the Garden of Eden, the plan that God has for our life, is still active today. And God is glorified when you and I prosper. God is glorified when the things that we do in our life grow and do well. Why? Because it brings glory to him, and it reflects what he created us to do in the first place. God created us to rule and reign. Now, we're in an imperfect world, and we're going to mess that up. How many of you have ever made a mistake? How many of you have never made a mistake? Dennis is the only one that raised his hand, which I fully anticipated, and he just made a mistake. So now everyone is on the same page. But here's the deal. We've all sinned. But because, Brandon, of what Jesus did on the cross, we now are able to tap back into the image that God had created in us in the first place, and we can begin to rule and reign now, even in imperfection, Richard, even in imperfection. God wants to bring those things out of our life. God wants you to do well because it reflects on him. So there's some different names that Satan has. We need to talk about him because he's the one that brought the problem into the situation. And here's what Jesus had to say about him. In John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. He was talking to some religious leaders that were off track. And you want to do the desires of your father. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he, the devil, speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is also proud. That's why he fell in the first place. He's a liar. He is a murderer. He is an accuser of the brethren. He is a tempter. 
which we see in the garden and he's still doing today. And he is also a thief. Look at what Jesus said in John 10 verse 10. For the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said as the second Adam, I have come that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. So when we talk about tithing and we talk about God giving us overflow, that's abundance. When we talk about what Jesus has done in our life, it's about overflow. It's establishing us back to what we were originally created to be in the very beginning so that we would have a life and have it abundantly. And I hope for some of you the light starts to come on is that this is what this is all about. If Adam and Eve had never fallen in the garden, Jesus would never have had to come because there never would have been a sin. Never would have happened. But because there was sin, God had a plan. And I want you to try to wrap your mind around just for a little bit how much God loves us that he would put this kind of plan in place that would cost him so much to reestablish a relationship with me and you. Do you think you're worth that? Would you do that for you? How many of you think you're awesome? Okay, good, good. That's awesome. They're like, yeah, I can see that. I'm God's gift. (laughs) That's okay. But for many of us that have had a little life experience, I don't know that I'd die for me. I think I'd probably just start over. But God loved us so much that like Jesus, we were talking about earlier, he leaves the 99 and he comes and finds me and you. That's incredible. That's incredible. And it starts here in the garden. So we're going to talk about what happened in the garden. Now remember what I told you in heaven, Satan decided no longer am I going to reflect God. I want to look at me, right? And then he is trying to do the same thing in the garden. He's trying to get Adam and Eve's eyes off their off God and onto themselves. And so the first D that we're going to talk about and we'll just see how far we get, which is not going to be far, probably just cover one of these today. The first D is deception. You can write that down. Deception. How many hunters do I have in the room? Hunters, all my hunters, lift your hands up. Okay. How many of you wear camouflage? Why do you wear camouflage? To hide, right. Why? Because you want to deceive the animal. Now, deer are colorblind. They're like Dennis. Many of you don't know Dennis is colorblind. He can't see color. It's true. It's beautiful. His wife has to dress him. That's why he looks so good, right? Picks the colors out for him. I I prefer pink if you do that often. That'd be awesome. Uh, but, But here's the thing. Deer, you can wear just about anything because they don't see color. As long as you don't move, you're going to be pretty much okay. Turkeys are very different. Scientists tell us that a turkey can actually see the whites of your eyes. And so many times if you see a turkey hunter, they're going to be head to toe and they're going to look literally like a tree because I have had friends that have been hunting turkeys and a turkey would see their eye move and go away and that was the only thing that moved. They are that good. Their eyesight is that good. So if you're going to be a really good turkey hunter, what you have to do is deceive them. You have to make them think you're a bush. Right? Because the turkey walks up and the turkey says, hey, that's not a dude, that's a bush. Because if that was a dude, I wouldn't be here, right? Or it sees a decoy and it comes up to the decoy because why? The decoy is deceiving the turkey into thinking, hey, hey, baby, right? 
Come on, I think you're cool, right? And so that's what, I, that's what they say. They really say that. It's been scientifically proven. Okay? And so they come over and they, they, that's what's going on. But the whole deal is they're deceived. And here's the thing about deception. Once the turkey sees a hand move, he realizes that, that tree is not a tree, it's a dude. They're not deceived anymore. And that's the thing about deception. See, the whole idea that Satan's working behind here is he is deceiving Adam and Eve. Here's what Satan doesn't do. Satan doesn't come to you with horns and a red suit and a pitchfork. That is a goofy illustration. The Bible tells us he was the most beautiful creature in heaven. Why? Because nobody wants to follow a dude with a pitchfork and horns. Right? That's a myth. So Satan shows up, and he deceives you into thinking, ah, this lady loves you more than your wife does. Because, see, here's the thing. If he showed up in red horns and a pike and crack and said, hey, try this, it's going to destroy your life. What are you going to do? Run. Thank you. Good answer by the person that loves himself. That's awesome. See, she knows that. So here's the deal. That's not how it works. And, and, it, and we in our mind think, well, the devil made me. The devil didn't make you do anything. The Bible tells us that we're deceived and we get into sin when our own hearts that are corrupt lead us that way. So the deal is the devil's not going to show up a lot of times where it's really obvious to you. He's going to be like the hunter that's in all camouflage because if you knew it was him, you wouldn't go there. So he shows up in such a way with something that you're familiar with. So look at the scripture. Now that you understand that, you get the deception. Let's read the scripture. Now the serpent was more what? crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now listen, here's the thing I want you to understand. Somebody made this comment first service. I thought it was pretty, it was a reasonable question. They said, didn't Eve freak out when the animals talked? Maybe the animals talked. Maybe this wasn't a big deal. She obviously didn't say, cool, the animal talked. So she was used to whatever was going on. But the most important thing, however they communicated, the most important thing was here, he had entered into the serpent and she was used to seeing snakes, so it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a pitchfork guy. Why is that important? Because that's how Satan's going to tempt you. He's not going to tempt you in a way that you're necessarily going to know that it's him. He's going to tempt you in such a way that he can get close to you. You know, I've got here fishing bait, and I've used this before. These are real hooks. <laughs> Where are my nurses at? <laughs> what am I fishing for? Anything I can catch. Large boats. <laughs> Here's the deal. Satan deceives us because he looks like something that we're used to seeing. See, fish, and this is obviously an overblown fishing bait, but the reason fishing baits work is because they look like something that fish are used to seeing. And if you were to try to catch a fish with a dude, 
other than a shark, it's probably not going to work. Why? Because they're like, that's a guy. It's like the turkey. That's a guy. That's not how you catch things. You deceive them. And that's what, it, that's what Satan did. But notice how he did it. Notice what he did. He said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say? Every week that I remember, I stand up here and say, repeat after me, this is my every word and it is true. Why is that important? Because God said, so where did Adam, or where did Satan attack Adam? Did God really say that? See, that's the fundamental thing that we're going to look at in this series. What did God really say? See, he didn't try to come at her in such a way that was so obvious to her that she was being deceived. He came in such a way of even using some of God's own words and twisting them around. He came to her in such a way and said, hey, let's talk about this. Did God really say that? And it still works today. Here's the reason why you and I need to know the Bible because if we don't know what God said, then we can be fooled. If we don't know, then we can be misled by anything. Here's what God said about that. He said, my people go into slavery for lack of understanding. Because if you don't know the truth, you can be convinced of just about anything. There's a reason I stand up here and say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. The Bible is true. And guys, the first time we see Satan tempt anybody, this is what he says. Is that true? Did God really mean that? And it got her to thinking. And because of the trap, because of what happened there at the very beginning, it's affected mankind since then. And I want to tell you something. When sin comes, when we receive that sin, when we disobey God, what happens? Does it just affect us? It affects the whole world. It affects everybody in our world. When I sin or you sin, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, gang. When we sin, it impacts everybody around us. And so Satan comes to deceive us, and he tries to convince us that what God has said is not true. And I'm going to end with this today. We'll come back to the rest of it next week, the other points. There's like eight of them, so we've got a ways to go. Here, here's the thing I want to leave you with today. This is God talking to you. Do you trust me? God. Come on up with us. Do you trust me? Because here's what I would propose. When Satan told Eve, did God really say, she had a decision to make. What if she just said, yeah, that would have been the end of it. Yeah, God said, because God said, and he distorted that some, but because God said, don't do that, we're not going to do that. God said, so we're not going to. That would have been it. But she was deceived. 
And because of her sin and Adam being right there with her, their sin, we're still dealing with that today. You and I, still dealing with that today. But here's what it comes down to. This is a fundamental question. Do I believe God's word? How does that look like in the real world? What does that look like in the real world? Okay. Jesus said, I have to forgive those who sin against me. Did God really say that? Surely God didn't mean that. He did. Did God really say, love your enemies? Yeah, he did. Did God really say, bless those who curse you? He really did, Mark. But see, that's where Satan attacks me and you guys. Right there. Did God really say I have to forgive these people that hurt me? Did God, God, do you really say these things? And see, that's where we get in trouble because what happens is like Eve, we begin to ask ourselves that question and then we excuse ourselves. Well, maybe not in this situation he didn't mean it. That's what we do. We justify, justify our sin. And that's when we end up broken. That's why we end up hurt. And that's why we hurt other people. But here's the good news. Are you ready for good news? Doesn't have to be that way. There's a cross. There's a cross. There's a God that loved you so much that said, yeah, I know there was a fall, but he already had a plan. And his plan was that Jesus would come and suffer and take our place and restore us to who he created us to be. So here's your question today, and then I'm gonna pray. Have I been deceived? Am I living a lie? Are there areas in my life where I've not believed what God said? And I'm not saying that out of condemnation. I have to ask myself the same question. And if the answer to you is yes, then it's time to get that right. Because I want you to know something, guys. The joy of our lives is seeing you become the people that God created you to be. And a lot of you are well on your way. That you're becoming the person, you're becoming a disciple. Your life is changing and God's blessing you. And it doesn't mean things don't get hard sometimes, but you know Jesus is there. The peace that's in this room is with you out there too. And he's moving on in your life. But some of you, maybe, there's that sin that's separating you from God. And it's time to get rid of that. Because God did really say. So let's agree with him and allow him to fix these things. Amen. Everybody bow your heads just real quick. I believe you've heard God's truth this morning for all of us, including me. some of you have been deceived Satan lied to you like he did to Eve because he's trying to destroy you because that's what he does but there's a savior named Jesus who's come to save you to set you free to heal your broken heart 
open your eyes. And I want you to know, please hear the heart of God for you. There is forgiveness for you. His grace is enough for you. His mercy is new every day. You cannot out God's grace. But you do have to receive it. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to take our place. Thank you for coming to make things right. Lord, I just pray right now, as we're here in the holiness of this moment, I know your presence is here, and I know you love us so much. Father, I pray you'd speak to every heart in this place. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, there's some areas in my life I need to get right with God. I want to come home. I want to be free. There's sin, and I want to get it right. I need this forgiveness. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Maybe you're here today and there's some areas in your life that God's showing you where there's been deception, where the devil's worked on you. And he's trying to deceive you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your eyes would be opened that you would see what the enemy is trying to do and that you would turn away and you would say, God's word says, and you would trust him. Everybody look at me for just a second. Here's the question. Why? Did Satan go after Adam and Eve? I was thinking about that. Here's why. Satan can't overthrow God. But you know what? If you want to hurt me, go after my kids. Right? Do you see that? So Satan couldn't overthrow him. But he said, you know what? I'm going to hit him where it hurts. I'm going to go after his kids. You see that? And because we are his kids, he sent Jesus to take our place to get us back home. That's how much he loves his kids. And that's you and me and Wes. That's that's his love for us. This is a big deal. You see that? It's a big deal. So don't allow Satan to deceive you. When when those words come, did God really say deception? Amen. Let's all stand this morning. Can I tell you something? You guys are loved. You are loved. God really loves you. And I'm partial to you. (laughs) He loves you. 
And he brought you to this place to let you know that. Amen. You're about to walk out those doors in the front after you have some more coffee and you name the coffee shop to a world that needs what you have. They need to see him. They need to see him. And I want you to remember that. And you need to live your life in such a way that people see Jesus, gang. Where they come to you and say, I don't know what you have, but I need that. What is it about you? And you say, let me tell you about, it's not me. Let me tell you about Jesus. And if enough of us do that, everything changes. Amen? We don't have to fix people. Let's let him fix people. Amen? Grab your neighbor's hand this morning. You guys slide down there, grab each other's hands. There you go. Father, I thank you for these amazing people. Your people, your kids, your children, God. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your love and your spirit would fill them, Lord, so that when we leave this place, the world sees you in us. That, Father, the Garden of Eden follows us out there. The Lord, and in school and in our workplaces, at our homes, that paradise follows us, Lord. And people begin to see your kingdom at work in our neighborhoods, in our places of business, but most of all in our homes where your presence rules and reigns and we take our place. And I thank you for that. Lord, fill us to the full and overflowing so that we can bless other people. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, I'm going to give you an order here, and then I'm going to let you go, okay? I need you to, before you leave, and if you don't do it, I will know. I want you to high-five three people, okay? Wait, wait, see? Teenagers, they're like, yes! Okay, listen to the whole directions. Okay, high-five three people and say, you're a pretty cool reflection of God, and then y'all can go home. Oh, if some of you want to stay for a few minutes, we're going to move the chairs around. We need a few people just to help us reset the chairs, okay? God bless you guys.